Hello, viewers and listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Slaves to the Algo. I'm Suresh Shankar, founder and CEO of Crayon Data, an AI and big data startup, and podcaster and host of Slaves to the Algo. Slaves to the Algo is my attempt to demystify the age of the algorithm. I plan to share my learnings, those of leading professionals in their field, to understand how they're being used by or using algorithms in their personal and professional lives. And today, I'm delighted to have a slightly different kind of entrepreneur. Yi Sung Yong, commonly called Sung, is the co-founder and CEO of Grain, what he calls Restaurant 2.0, and also the co-founder of Atlas Kitchen, which is changing the F&B world. More on that later. But Sung is a very interesting entrepreneur who kind of ticks every entrepreneurial box. He left his home country, Malaysia, to come to Singapore to set up a business. He's lived in buses and bomb shelters, flirting with the, what is the boundary line of like, you know, what, what, what's okay. And uh, he had this great idea called Rain to build what he called Restaurant 2.0, long before there were things like cloud kitchens and stuff like that. And he's also then trying now to create in a second startup, the Shopify for F&B outlets and restaurants. So without further ado, he is a master of, I think, the F&B industry, and it's very interesting as to how he's using data and algorithms to create his own future. So let's tune in to find out what we eat next with Sung. Welcome to the show, Sung. Hi, nice to be here, Suresh. Okay. Sung, um, I always like to start my episodes by asking guests a personal question, right? I mean, it's not about algorithms can be very frightening and scary. And we're all professionals, we're all affected by them in the tech industry. But we're also affected as individuals by the developments in AI and big data, right? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. we know that algorithms are taking over our lives. And the very idea of the show is, are we going to become slaves to the algo or will we remain masters of the algo? So if you could share with me some examples of great algorithms that you have come across that have affected or impacted your life positively or negatively. Well, I think the cliche examples aside, uh, and I, what comes to mind is like, a, like obvious things like Spotify and Amazon, uh, I use this app called like Endel, Endel's E-N-D-E-L. Um, it's pretty, pretty much like an AI. It looks like the time of day. It personalizes like a soundscapes basically to help you focus. So like uh, in the morning, like uh, they'll be playing like uh, ambient music that helps you pick up uh, the day, right? In a gradual manner. After like uh, after lunchtime, like uh, the music is a bit stronger, a bit more upbeat. And like uh, basically just like uh, looks at like a... Uh, uh, the time, the time of day, looks at like uh, you know what I generally like listening to, and like uh, plays me the perfect music to help me be productive. So that's that's one of my favorite apps. Uh, and, uh, and 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 that's very interesting. Does this app actually, when you go into a meeting and you want people pumped up, does it automatically sense the mood of the room and <laughs> they pumped up music? No, no. Actually, it's a personal. Like uh, I mean, I, I wish I wish it did, but like uh, it's a personal. It's a personal like a uh, kind of music app that like basically just plays. You can't choose the songs, by the way, right? You just turn it on, and based on what you like listening to, based on the time of day, it plays you the perfect music for, for productivity. You can say I'm like resting, I'm like focusing, I'm reading, and it just plays you like the perfect tune. Yeah, that's wonderful. And you said the name of the app is Endel, E N D L E, E N D E L. It's Endel e -N -D -E -L. and Dell. Yeah. Okay, that's wonderful actually, because one of the things that you notice in the music industry, and you take Spotify, which has great playlists and recommendations, is that. Uh, I think you always are toggling between do you want to be a slave to their algorithm and their playlist or do you want to be a master and make your own choices? And here you're saying very clearly, you only specify one word or one mode and then the algo takes over. So, yeah. So 
I guess like I'm the slave to the algo in this case, right? I just like uh, specify what I want. That's the only master food thing or the the more like uh, I'm I'm the I'm I'm just master around like what I'm going to be doing at point in time, and like uh, the algo takes over pretty much. Yeah. And just taking that, and you know, you talked about music, and it's interesting because I'm going to go and try this app, and I think we could all do with music. And music makes my world go around. Hundred percent. Food. Measure, yeah. yeah, food also makes all our worlds go around and you are a master of the food industry and what's very interesting is that i mean i'm just going to take that indel example and said i've always wondered when i go into a restaurant why is it that they give me some fifty thousand choices and i have to spend 30 minutes curating and like trying to figure out what i really want in this number one and then you have the other extreme you're the slave to the uh, restaurant model where the chef is a prima donna he's a whatever it is he's he's like a michelle and start guy and he says, oh, this is what is my thing? And that's all you can eat, right? Yeah. And where is this thing going? I mean, how do you think people really want that food? Do you want to be, just give me whatever? Do you want to be in control of your choices? What's your take on that? As a, as a person, I mean, I know you love food. Yeah. No, I think people want both. Um, but in, in terms of like how we envision grain uh, uh, from day one, it was actually the whole omakase style, right? We wanted to basically... Like um, in, the, in the kind of rawest form, so think of grain as an online restaurant. We use data, we use the tech-enabled uh, distribution network to serve food to customers. Um, from day one, pretty much like uh, the vision was to like uh, have a service or product where you could basically, and this was actually the service and product we launched with, right? It was a type form and we, we asked three questions. What do you like eating? What don't you like eating? And what are you allergic to? And based on like uh, these three questions that you answer around ingredient components, we triangulate the least amount of recipes to cook for the most amount of people. So think of it as like a personal chef for everyone kind of concept, like the Omar Kasi, a concept that you just described, right? Um, you go there and based on these three uh, criteria or like uh, these three uh, questions that we've asked, we just cook you one dish every day based on like, uh, again, all these different boundary conditions. And it was like a delightful service, right? It was basically like a, a subscribe to breakfast, lunch and dinner, uh, three times a day service uh, for either one week, two weeks or one month. And it was an out service means basically by, by, by definition, every day you'll be opting into the service and you'll be eating grain day in, day out until you say like, I don't want to be uh, having lunch tomorrow. And then it goes, you know, it goes the next day and, and things like that. Right. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned like, uh, you know, going to a restaurant and on the other side of the spectrum where there's like a bunch of things that you don't want. I mean, there's like 500 things in the menu and you're like, Oh, what do I eat? And the other vision was basically to have like, uh, this, this, uh, what we call like a right now, like food IP concept where you would basically, same thing, right? Uh, what do you like eating, not like eating, allergies, but based on like your purchasing history, based on like the time of day again and all these other like uh, hundreds of factors. Like if I go to the restaurant and right now I'm like, okay, what do I feel like eating? And I tap a cut and in this case it's like uh, the food ID cut and it tells me, okay, so you should be eating A, B or C, right? Uh, and it's been basically narrowed down from like at least 100 over like uh, uh, items. That's the vision uh, that we are building towards essentially. And I'm going to come to some of those questions, but just let's go back a step in time, right? I mean, you know, you started off with this idea of a full stack model, restaurant 2.0, as you called yep. it when I first met you. And that time, the idea of a cloud kitchen didn't exist. And, you know, entrepreneurs always like to dream of these things. And then, yep. you know, they sometimes are happy when they come alive. But what made you believe that that was the future? Uh, and... A second question that's kind of a corollary to that, and while obviously it gives you control, at the same time, it gives you more challenges, right? When you want to control everything from the distribution to the cooking to the ordering, I mean, you can do tech, but that's a whole bunch of different things from, let's say, 
an app like Deliveroo or Grab, which is just saying, hey, you guys do everything. Yeah. I'm just delivering stuff to the customer, right? So what was your vision originally and why did you think of this at all? Well, like a, the, the, the nicer, fancy answer that people like uh, hearing is basically like, uh, we believe in the whole full stack model, right? The whole Apple controlling the whole end-to-end user experience. We do everything from the cooking to the ordering to the delivering. So we literally own kitchens. We own like a, a, a fleets, so we have like our own delivery network of drivers and like cars and uh, vans, uh, motorbikes, and we also build our own tech, right? And that's that's basically the full stack model that we, we believed in from day one. I mean, I think uh, right now a bit of like hindsight, perhaps like there's probably a bit of stupidity as well, thinking that we could do everything. I think on a, in a, if I would start today, again, that would be a very silly way to do it. Given that we started, like you mentioned, before Cloud Kitchens, ghost kitchens, duck kitchens, or even a term, like that's our core competency today, right? So we know how to manage kitchens, we know how to run logistics, we can be our own tech. That's, uh, and, and that's very interesting because each of these is typically a very specialist thing. The people who do, you know, restaurants or the people who do delivery and all that. But your underlying theme is tech and data, right? I mean, you want to yep. use data and you want to use tech to solve this problem. And uh, I'm just going to kind of unpack that model a little bit and seeing how you use data and algorithms, right? Um, so let's take the menu, for example. You know, how do you come mm -hmm. up with the menu uh, curation? You know, there's a lot of different tastes. You live in a multi uh, multicultural country. You also live in a very international city where people have different tastes and even the same person may want different things at different times. It's a bit like mm -hmm. a music analogy, right? So how do you actually identify the tastes of people how do you actually create these menus and what are the factors that you use to identify these tastes? It's a good question. So we, we think of like, uh, I mean, we track religiously, like everything goes from the dish. Uh, and the dishes, I think uh, a bit of like a texture over there is built around what we call Legos. So like uh, Legos are basically like uh, components that we, 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 we like around like veggies, around like carbs, protein, finishing, and many Legos form a preset or a dish, right? So we kind of use these Legos to like uh, build the dishes and based on the dishes that we build, we understand like what customers want based on the feedback or the very close feedback loop that we've designed. So every time like uh, we, we sell a dish or sell a, sell a uh, make a sale, like uh, customers receive a feedback, they say, uh, they rate the food, uh, they, it's a quantitative and qualitative uh, 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 survey or feedback form, right? And it goes back to like, uh, it goes back to the specific dish that we've created. And based on that, we then modify it again based on the Legos and we see like how customers react to it again. And over time, we just perfect each dish, move on, move on, and just continuously iterate. It's a, it's an ongoing I, just like to, I just like to unstack that a bit. So when you talk yeah. about the Lego dish, you're saying, hey, I can take the pasta, I can combine it with a completely different kind of sauce that people don't use, or I can use a different type of topping. I can use chicken or fish or, or vegetarian. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So you can like uh, take like a base uh, a fusilli or uh, say for like uh, the cup and like uh, you add it with a salmon or add it with chicken and that's a protein Lego. And like uh, based on that, you understand like how customers react to it uh, accordingly and you can tweak it in a very like scalable manner. I think in the back of that, like, and I have that, I constantly, I mean, beyond the data and the tech and the cool stuff, what we balance is also the operational efficiency. Um, it's essentially, we're essentially dealing with atoms and bits here, right? So like atoms part, it's a kitchen, it is, like you mentioned, like a, a whole different discipline altogether. Like three companies can be like, a, 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 we can break brain down the three companies, the logistic company, or F&B kitchen, right? And also like a tech a company essentially. And that F&B part is also 
something that we've considered connected back to like the data and the tech that we, that we received here. And I love that thing of atoms and bits and, you know, Peng, you and I, we talk about this a lot about atoms and bits, right? I mean, the, the bits part, I think we're talking about, and I want to spend a little bit more time on that before I go mm -hmm. to the atoms. Uh, you know, you have this, what you talked about is you're putting together the dish, you're looking at what people are clicking. Now you're actually talking about a version of building your own meal plan. Mm -hmm. So um, how, you know, even in fact, in terms of figuring out what are the Lego bricks that you're going to do, right? Hmm. Is that completely extensible? Can it be anything? Because to me, if I go back to your music example, it's like saying, pick these words, pick this beat, pick this kind of instruments and all of that. And suddenly you have your own song. And that's hmm. bloody hard because the song <laughs> is ultimately what people listen to, not the Lego bricks of the song. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So how does the meal come together in this whole thing? Well, you're, you're absolutely right, right? So the Lego is very much like a, the operational considerations that we make around like, a, again, drawing kind of boundary conditions to not create too many SKUs, right? Which is like a, a big killer of like a, at them part of business, again, the kitchen, right? Um, so what we do is actually we just lock in the Lego. So like uh, basically the proteins, the carbs, the veggies, and we build like uh, dishes around these Legos. I think to answer your question around like, uh, you know, actual dish that people eat and like, how do they react to it? How do you perfect that? That is still rocket science, right? Like, uh, like literally so many things go into a dish. You can say like, uh, 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 I remember like uh, in earlier days when we were working with like uh, smart city kitchens and like we were trying to like collaborate on like uh, what would make sense to sell in the East. And like uh, the brief that we got from the data was basically uh, fried chicken hala burger in Tampines. Because based on like uh, the number of Google uh, searches, based on the number of restaurants there, there was a gap, right? There's like a very smart analysis that was done. But the concept didn't really work that well. You could also go to a very crowded space. You could have like a bunch of like Vietnamese uh, restaurants in this space, like extremely crowded, extremely saturated, and create the same uh, a cuisine. So another Vietnamese restaurant, a concept, and that restaurant could take off. So what what is that to say, right? There's like so many things going into like uh, making something that people want. And I mean, we're still trying to figure out, right? But some some general principles is that like everyone is different. Uh, some people prefer eating um, like uh, if you go to like a Macca's and McDonald's, like uh, people prefer eating like the Big Mac and the Mac Chicken all the time. Some people like the Angry Bird Burger that changes. So they like excitement, right? And it changes on a, again, time of day, how you're feeling in that particular period. So many things go into this, like a perfect menu. It's basically much, much, much harder than people think, my point. I am absolutely certain. I'm going to come from the bit side to the atom side, right? You go to the chef and you say, this is what people want, like that, whatever, the, the fried chicken, tempeh, whatever. But that, and the chef is a professional. He is an atom. He is a collection of experiences. He or she is a person who believes food should be in a particular way. How willing are the atoms of your business in the kitchen? Be willing to be guided by the bits, right, on this one? Well, I would say right now, uh, the current stage of grain are very willing. I would say like in the earlier days of uh, uh, grain, extremely unwilling in the sense that like uh, these chefs are like, you know, they're like experienced, they're like hit chefs, they come from fine dining experiences, they're like, uh, they're like the gods of like the, their craft, some of these chefs that we have hired or brought in. Um, and they're like, I know better than the customer, right? Like, uh, uh, this should taste this way. And we're like, no, look at the customer's feedback. The customer is saying that they don't, they think this is too salty, right? This too, this should be, this should, there should be more bite to this, right? And like, I'm not the boss. Uh, the, the person that like, uh, uh, pays like, uh, uh, the bills and like, uh, you know, like, uh, make sure that there's payroll, enough money for payroll are the customers. So there was actually a big transition from like, um, I know what I want as a, at or like a chef 
to like, okay, let's look at what the customers are saying. Let's look at the data that's coming in and then iterate the menu, right? And I think it was definitely, it's much easier than it sounds for like gain, but like uh, it's a, it's definitely was a big transition that we had to- And then how much does it work in the reverse direction? You know, we talked about the bits influencing the atoms, I mean, the, the customer preferences mm. and the Legos influencing the meal, but surely your chef has an idea. Hey, I think we should do something and this is cool. Like the way an omakase would work, I mean. Yeah, how much yeah. you go and try that out in the in the reverse direction? Well, I think we try to strike a balance, right? I think you don't need to be like overly like a look at what the data is saying. And I mean, sometimes bias confirmation, you just have like a set of data in front of you and like you make a decision. We do make bets, right? We do think, oh, you know, like uh, chefs do say like, I feel like doing this and like you do it. And sometimes it's like a, a breakout success. Uh, and again, we go back to the data after we've launched something, right? So it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing balance that we try to strike. Yeah. Which brings me to a very interesting conversation, a very related topic, you know, uh, spirits or alcohol. I mean, you know, no food is, um, for many people, food is like best served with a, with a great drink. And I had this very interesting conversation last year on Saves the Algo with a lady called Gillian Doherty. And Doc, she heads the AI lab for Scotland. She's doing AI for a country. Hmm. And she talked about whiskey tint, right? And she's done talked about an interesting algo they did where they talked about whiskey tint and said, you know, the tint and the color and the, uh, and, and the shape of the bottle and all these things is actually very, very critical in the choice of the whiskey. And they said, can we build an algorithm that can analyze all of these things, the bottle type, the impact of the bottle type on the tint, the environment impact, environmental impact of where the bottle was kept, et cetera, right? Temperature, facility, and how all this influence, not just which whiskey people bought, but how much they enjoyed it, right? Interesting, yeah. And uh, do you think, as I'm listening to you, right, do you think that food is going to go that far as well? I think so. And I think it's already heading the heading to the direction, right? And I mean, if you think about just our day to day right now, and I think back to like the whole concept of food ID, but just that aside, right? Like, I mean, maybe before you go out with your friends on like a, on like a, on a weekday night, um, uh, you want something a bit more decadent, right? To suck up the alcohol, uh, on like a, on a rainy day, you want something a bit soupier, right? Maybe on like a Saturday when you're feeling like a, like a hangover, you want something lighter, like a sandwich. These are all kind of like data points, emotions, and like um, factors that we need to consider when we consider like what customers really want to be eating or purchasing, right? And I think that's, that's, that's definitely part of the future. It's already here to a large extent. I think it's just like, uh, you know, uh, us getting there right now. And let me move a little bit from the, uh, I think the, the taste and the food side uh, to the literally the kitchen, right? And what caught my eye was basically the fact that you have a bunch of catering services. You do a B2B business where you're kind of, let's say, I mean, I know yeah. it's not, it's not ideal times from a COVID perspective, but you used to have this business <laughs> where a company could have a party or there's an F&B event, there's 50 people, 100 people, and you can cater to a whole range of them, right? Yeah. And then um, that's, that's a very different thing, right? Because now you're trying to do things for 50 people, not all of whom are individuals or not all of whom are small families. And there's a whole um, scale issue in terms of how do I customize when I'm dealing with a lot of 50 people or a hundred people. I mean, it's like playing a concert, you know, music at a concert as opposed to playing music just for you. So uh, how do you actually kind of um, manage to do that? I mean. Yeah. So actually the new norm is actually, a, I mean, so the new norm, which is what we're experiencing right now is actually uh, uh, some pretty interesting like uh, implementations over there. So we, right now, what we do, because no one gets, no one can gather back in the office in like a groups of more than five. What happens is actually we have to help the officers collate all the 200, say like uh, 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 preferences from like the recipients and then deliver it to 200 locations. 
So that's actually the new world of B2B. We work with corporates to deliver, to collect the preferences of what they want to be eating and then deliver it to like 200 locations. So in many ways, you can actually do what we're doing with the, on the B2C side with the B2B customers. Um, I think that said, I think if you think of it as like a whole and fitting a group as a whole, then there are other, other considerations, right? You consider things like high level kind of preferences around like, uh, you know, like uh, dietary preferences, you know, like some conditions around like uh, vegan, non-vegan, uh, you serve these office managers often enough. And you know what this general group of people would need to like, uh, what would this general group of people needs to be like, uh, need, need to be like uh, satisfied with? You go one step down into like the food feedback and you iterate it based on like the, the comments that are coming in with the office manager and even like the personalized uh, feedback that we get on the ground with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with a link, right? That we always put on our, on our catering tables. So we really personalize it down to like the event level and also the, the individual levels as much as possible for these big catering events. So, and, and that's very interesting, right? I mean, we had this uh, conversation in my company, Crayon, with a partner from Bain, and he talked about Walmart. And he said, who is the single person who's most empowered in Walmart to make sure that they fulfill their big mission? And the big mission is, I'm going to help you save money on things that you need mm -hmm. to do so that you can actually do the bigger things in your life, right? And he says, they are obsessively focused on that. Uh, I mean, Walmart arouses strong reactions to the brand. I'm not going to go into that. But he said, when you walk into that shop in Houston, and, you know, you go into that aisle and you pick up a piece of clothing, really the person who's actually responsible for making sure that every customer walks into that aisle in Houston is very, of course, different from when Bentonville or New York or wherever else in the world is actually the global procurement manager. Because mm. the global procurement manager now has to figure out all of these things a year ahead of time in terms of what all those aisles and all those shops need to be stocked with, right? So I'm going to bring that back into you, right? You look at your inventory, you're constantly evolving the menu, you're thinking about what you want to do. How do you actually have this, I mean, whatever the equivalent of your global procurement manager is, who's saying, I'll manage this inventory? Well, it's a good question. I think we are still trying to figure it out, um, to be honest, right? I think uh, it goes back and forth between like, uh, you know, the, the business side, which is the sales team, the marketing side, um, you know, the, so the creatives, it goes back to like um, the chefs and it's again a constant balance we're trying to strike over here. I don't think we've perfected that yet. Um, yeah, I don't think we've perfected that yet. That's an honest and interesting thing because I do believe that uh, I'm going to come back to the customer and I'm, but I think you also, you also do delivery. And yeah. Like you said, there's three different businesses. You've got a kitchen, you've got the front end customer taste and then you've got the uh, you got the delivery, right? How do you manage all of that? How do you, how are you better than other people in terms of delivery, right? Because delivery is a business so, of scale and you're smaller. So you actually have some USP out there. So by actually controlling the whole end-to-end -end, uh, 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 supply all the way to like the demand side, what we actually are able to do is actually group the orders a lot more effectively from the kitchen side and the batching, how do you cook things in batches all the way to like, uh, how do you deliver it in batches? So right away, you can think of it as economies of scale that we get <clears throat> by, you know, like doing a 1.5, two times above average, like an industry average per drops. You're looking at like, a, we can do eight to 10 drops over uh, two hours versus industry average of like a three to four, right? And we do it extremely efficiently because we get pre-orders, we batch the orders together. We can like uh, have a very good sense of like which areas of Singapore in this case, uh, like uh, uh, are needing more uh, drivers and like uh, have more demand and then adjust the operations economy, right? So that's a huge, huge benefit of actually managing the whole end-to-end -end, uh, from the kitchen to the, you know, the tech to the logistics again.
And that's an amazing piece of data. You just told me that you can do six, you said six drops it's every a, hour as opposed to four, yeah. which is the industry average. Yeah. So you're saying your operation is already 50% better than what the industry is doing. Or more, yeah, for sure. Yeah, in and, terms of like batching of orders, in terms of like how we how we we can we're able to plan ahead because we manage whole end to end experience. And 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 there's another fact that I kind of uh, think about, right? And and I talked about this right at the beginning. You take all of this stuff. You take the fact that you have customers and their taste. You have your kitchen. You have the delivery operations. You have the inventory management, and you have have to put this together into a seamless experience, like Endel or Spotify or Amazon or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And you get a pretty amazing uh, how do you make your customers i mean ultimately the customer only gets the whole experience right was i able to get what i want was it beautiful on the tech was the food great did i get it on time how hmm. do you actually pers- you know get that whole repeat customer experience going and what's your metrics on that so we actually it's an interesting again an interesting question to ask because we actually changed the nafta metric uh, this year uh, just basically like last week uh, during company outside to be a nps unicorn Right, so net promoter score unicorn, uh, nice. and, uh, basically aspiring, you know, like uh, making making like um, making everyone aspire to like uh, create the perfect, the best possible customer experience, right? So, like, what, how likely would you recommend a friend, family, or loved one to try this product or service on a scale of one to ten? And like, uh, we are aiming for like a bulk of like measure our customers hitting nines or, or tens. And again, you can't really break it down to like the ten things. But some of the things that we do, uh, I think, uh, rather well right now, uh, would be like um, again a close uh, customer feedback loop. Uh, customers receive a feedback link after like uh, each meal they purchase. We react very quickly in terms of like uh, iterating these dishes. Uh, we have a very high touch uh, customer care team that is like uh, there's service levels to reply to customers within a half a day, uh, the same day, right? We use a lot of again like uh, data and the metrics that we collect. Uh, back from like uh, uh, the customers to also incentivize the kitchen and uh, the the logistics logistics team. So you know we know pretty much who delivered this food um, based on like uh, the experience or the rating that the customers give. It goes back to that person's compensation. So nice. it's directly linked back to compensation, and that's just part of the system that we have in place. Make sure that like data goes back to like uh, you know that part of the business, and everyone's just incentivized to like. Uh, keep on like pushing for a, a superior, a more and more superior customer experience. And some it always is fascinating, right? And we talked about your business a fair bit. And um, I think one of the things for me is that you really truly are building what you call restaurant 2.0, right? From thinking about the customer experience to what might a person want based on their mood and whatever, whether it's an individual, a family or, a, or an office party, you're trying to match that into a Lego blocks from the kitchen. You're trying to match that into a delivery thing. You're running this efficiently. Your unit economics must be much, much, much better and ahead of the industry. Would that be a reasonable conclusion to draw? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think uh, in terms of unit economics, we have always been positive from day one, right? I think uh, the few, like uh, people talk about it as like, uh, in, especially in on-demand space, as something to be to be bragging about. Like uh, it's been something that we have had, we have nailed from day one. Again, it helps to be stupid to like uh, do the whole full stack end-to-end customer experience. And to reap basically the margins across, like uh, you know, the food, across like uh, the logistics and uh, delivery piece, across the tech ourselves. Uh, but our unit economics is healthy, and like it, it continues to be very, very healthy. Yep. 
And which brings me, I think, to pretty much the last thing that I really wanted to kind of talk to you about. I mean, it's fascinating to me. It's not just about the tech. I think it's about how you're using data to really deconstruct the whole chain. And then you're using data to inform how you can improve every aspect of the chain. And you're doing that from a right brain thing, like a customer experience to a left brain thing, like, you know, logistics of delivery and, you know, unit economics of what you're doing. And um, for me, I think the question then was, how agile can a business like that be? And I think if you looked at what happened to Grain and COVID and what happened in your own uh, uh, in your own mental space, you've been very super fast in adapting to the new normal, right? You had virtual wedding menus, you had webinars, I mean, meals, you had bubble tea factory in your cold kitchen, you had all kinds of different things. So how do you actually balance out all that you're doing on the data with this with this need to be agile and quick and and like you know super responsive, especially? But government regulations are changing all the time. Your industry is like hmm. constantly evolving. Well, I think we definitely act with some level of bias for action. Right? We look at the data, uh, especially like uh, during COVID. Like uh, we understand what, what, like uh, what, what, what is coming in, what the customers are saying. At the same time, we are bold enough to make bets and make it quickly. Right. I think that's been very, very helpful in like uh, you know making sure that we stay agile if the data is coming in and not waiting for the full complete picture and then reacting accordingly. To just try and Could you give us an example of something that you did of how you came up with let's say this virtual wedding menu and and or oh, how you use we, data so we literally like uh, at uh, in the first quarter of covid uh, we uh, we spooled up like what we call like uh, the q q quick response force so q r uh, f uh, that we call internally right we look at all the previous feedback all the previous data around like, what customers wanted across like uh, the different new brands and new products uh, weddings, uh, you know, like uh, what, what B2B customers are telling us. And we basically had 10 projects firing at one point with like separate owners for each. And then after three months, we look at the data that was coming in and we just queued all the projects that are not working. And behold, you have like your virtual weddings, you have your webinar meals that is like a very, very fast growing segment. We created new plans or so as a result. And uh, yeah, that's how we that's how we reacted to like uh, use data and like uh, uh, to, uh, to move very quickly during tough times like this. And that's and that's great because uh, again for me what's fascinating is um, the f and b industry is not something it's open to innovation but it's all the innovation has been around the food mm. and the experience it's not been open to really uh, uh, you know i won't say that you know all the delivery stuff is actually an innovation it's more like building mass scale logistics to it right and i think you kind of built something that's a the bridge of these two worlds and just as as a final parting question you now said Hey, listen, I've created this thing and I'm doing it for myself. And then you had this idea like Amazon built Amazon for itself and then said, hey, I've built all these servers and the tech and why don't I make it available for other people as AWS? Now you're building Atlas, which is like a Shopify for restaurants. Yeah. What, what's that whole thing about how you're going to revolutionize? Um, and, and, you know, and, and Atlas is all about data and AI and tech, right? So how are you planning to go ahead with this thing? And what's your plans out there? How are you going to change the industry one more time? So the big, the big picture, the big idea for like uh, Atlas is basically to build an operating system for restaurants, right, or F&B. Um, so we, if we look at like the whole kind of like uh, the whole tech stack that we have in Green, we're pretty much like a, kind of like a doing the same for the rest of the F&B universe here, right? Everything from inventory to feedback to point of sale to like uh, to uh, to logistics uh, services that we are basically building like a software around to share in many ways, right, with the rest of the F&B world. And like this will help them improve their margins, grow a lot faster, support virtual brands, 
And we also believe in building up an open ecosystem where you can think of it, think of this as like a F&B app store, right? They're like, uh, we will mm-hmm. build apps on and also external developers will also be, be, uh, be, uh, be building on and like, uh, it will also likely be uh, something that will be quite open source. And, and, and you've already made some phenomenal success. You've been selected by Y Combinator, but you also, I think, got some uh, really good success in terms of your metrics and how people are using it. Well, I mean, we'll see. I think we'll see on like, uh, you know, like uh, trying to get on the right track to like uh, uh, make this work. And uh, we'll see in the next couple of months. Yeah, full disclosure to the viewers and the listeners. Uh, Sung and I work together on Atlas. I'm an investor in Atlas. But what's exciting for me, Sung, is I think... Uh, the two things that you're doing, if you look at it, is how you started off with a view of the F&B industry, which is very different from what they were doing, which is this whole full stack model. You've kind of proven that and you're saying, can I bring that revolution to practically everybody in the F&B world? Yep. Um, and um, the way that I think, you know, I've learned so much from what you're just saying out here. I mean, the fact that, you know, uh, that the unit economics is better, that by running the full stack, you can actually do better delivery how you're managing to get your people in the kitchen to understand the use of data and you're informing that, how you're actually creating, taking all these Lego blocks, but actually creating your own meal. And, you know, that's like um, fantastic. So I'm going to have one last question for you. Do you, and, you know, I, I use, and I'm going to go back to my personal question. I use, you know, like everybody else in the world, we use these apps to order food and we struggle with it, right? Everybody seems to be wanting to push what they want to do in terms of a restaurant. But there are so many things that are broken about that experience, right? I can't order in a multi-meal scenario things from different places. I can't sometimes get, um, you know, I'm always being forced kind of with offers and things like that for things that I don't want because maybe they want to push something. It seems to me that that whole F&B experience, while it's become really great in terms of everybody being able to order and get a meal at home in 30 minutes, has progressed in terms of convenience. It hasn't progressed in terms of a great customer experience, right? Hmm. What's your take on where this is going to go? I mean, do you envisage a day and maybe I'm now living out my wildest dreams and you'll go build it where I can just say, listen, I literally have my own set of things that I want to do for, let's say, a week ahead. And I have that and I give that into Grain or Atlas or one of your ideas. And then you're able to go out there and say, anybody can help you fulfill this thing. I mean, do you, do you see yourself becoming an aggregator of consumer tastes and helping people eat the best meal they can? I think we, we do. I think uh, the form that it takes uh, 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 will be will be one that's interesting to like uh, figure out. I think the way we see it is actually something that will work well for the mass market. May not work well for like uh, this person, the individuals, right? So like uh, the more you cater to like specific individuals, I mean, there's economies of scale, a bunch of these things to consider. Like uh, the harder it is, like uh, to be to be profitable. So I think it's a it's a balance again. Um, we, we are again, like trying to like, uh, you know, like, uh, it, it goes back again to like the day one idea that we had in grain, right? Like, uh, f- uh, figure out like the least amount of like res- recipes to satisfy the most amount of people, right? So we triangulate the preferences and like all the ones and the needs. Um, and like, uh, we figure out like how to do it in the most efficient, effective manner. And like, uh, you know, uh, we is a constant journey, like, uh, figure it out, scale it up. And like, uh, let's see what, uh, let's see what happens with this. Hey, thank you very much, um, Sung. Uh, I think for those who are listening from the investing community, it's interesting to hear about how a full stack model ahead of time is delivering vastly better unit economics and financial results. If you're a tech founder, I think it's fascinating to see how you can be completely 
uh, ahead of time in terms of doing something that combines the world of atom and bits, kitchens, delivery, and consumer taste. Um, if you're an F&B, what Sung's doing with the uh, with the Atlas idea of building a restaurant tours or a Shopify for restaurants is like a, a very interesting thing. Sung, to me, uh, pardon these bad pun, but you're an unsung visionary of the F&B <laughs> industry. And clearly from this conversation, you are not a slave to the algo. You're becoming a master of one. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Suresh. Thank you. My pleasure. To my viewers and listeners, Slaves to the Algo is available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. We release a new episode every week, sometimes more frequently. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate, share, and subscribe. Stay safe. COVID is not behind us yet. But most importantly, stay relevant because we are in the age of AI. We do not want to be a slave to the Algo. 